Jonathan, how are you doing? Today we kick off a brand new series, and this series is called Hookups and Heartbreaks. Okay, you can tell it isn't my idea. It was Pastor Tafara's idea, but yes, it's grown on me. Today we start off a brand new series called Hookups and Heartbreaks, and it's really our relationship series. So I want to encourage you, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you've been married for a year, whether you've been married for 39 years, like my parents yesterday, married for 39 years, what a great blessing they are, or whether you've been married for 60 years, to really just make sure that you're here in this church for the next three to four weeks, because we just have such an awesome word for you. We have an awesome word that's just going to really just transform your marriages, transform your relationships. Your lives are never going to be the same again. So you want to be here, and you want to be here awake. Amen. Amen. Yes, please. And so I just want to share with you something, and, and that's really this. The two most important decisions that you're ever going to make in your life are really this. Number one, the God that you're going to serve. And number two, the person that you're going to marry, right? I mean, these two decisions can literally make or break you. They can be the difference between you winning in life, yeah? And fulfilling all that God has called you to do and just being prosperous, successful, full of joy, a leader in the marketplace, a leader in your ministry. Or they can really result in you never amounting to anything, never really fulfilling your purpose and your calling in this life. Amen. So, it's, it's, so they're really important decisions. And focusing on number two, which is really why we're here, to learn more about relationships. Pastor Tafara says, and he always says this, it's a thousand times better. And so this morning I scratched off that a thousand, okay? I say it this morning, singles, it's a million times better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. It's a million times single better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. And so I just want to encourage you to just really plug into this message this morning. Plug into these messages in the next three to four weeks because we're going to give you guys some knowledge. If you're single, we're going to give you some knowledge of how to really make the right decision concerning the person you're going to get married to. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. This morning, I've got some slides. I've, I've done a bit of research while I was preparing for this series, and I, I just want to share with you some statistics that I, that I bumped into, and you know my love for Dr. Google. <laughs> a lot of this stuff comes from Dr. Google himself. And so we're going to look at the first slide. And the first uh, statistic I want to share with you is this, that 91% of the global population will at some point in their lives get married. And so the question here this morning, singles, single ladies, single gents, is not really will I get married. The question here is who, who are you going to get married to, right? Because, I mean, the stat is quite high. It's a given that you're going to get married. It's a given. You may be 40, 50, sitting here single. It's a given. You're going to get married. But you need to be asking yourself, who are you going to get married to? Okay, and so that is why I encourage you again, come to the services. When you come to the services, stay awake, okay? Because we're going to be giving you some knowledge, some wisdom about who and what to look out for in the person that you, you, you're going to get married to, okay? Next slide, please. So of, we know that 91% of the people get married, but of those couples who decide to get married, only 50 or 50% 50 of these marriages end in divorce. Next slide. 
And on top of that, another 30% experience and what they call an emotional or social divorce, okay? So this is emotional detachment. This is people who are literally living in the same house. And you're doing you, I'm doing me, okay? But we're just going to live in this house, okay? Uh, a good friend of ours says they transition from being soulmates to roommates, and then just roommates. We're just suffering for Jesus in this marriage. We're just staying for the sake of our kids, but there's no love. You do you, I do me. I'm not interested in a relationship. And that's 30% of people in the church even who are going through some sort of emotional, di emotional divorce. And so when we add the 50% that actually go through the legal, physical process, and when we add this 30% who are essentially living as roommates in the same house. We get the staggering figure, next slide please, that 80% of all marriages will result in some kind of divorce. 80%. That's huge. That's massive. And for those who've done maths, right, 100 minus 80, next slide, means that only 20, 20, 20% of marriages will experience, uh, or at least couples, will experience a fulfilling and lovely marriage. I mean, I don't know about you, church. I don't know which part you want to be in. But I know I want to be in this 20%. I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to learn whatever it takes to be in that 20% who experience this marriage made in heaven. And Pastor Tafar and I have made this commitment that no matter what, we're going to add in our budget some sort of investment to just make sure that we're investing in books that help us develop our marriage. We're investing in time that we spend with people who've been married longer than us. And we're going to make this thing work. And speaking about investing in books, I actually had the privilege of, of being invited to a breakfast. It was Dr. Bill Winston's breakfast uh, on Wednesday. And straight after that breakfast, I made a beeline for the resource table. And I bought as many books on marriages that I could possibly get my hands on. Why? Because I want to learn from people who've been married longer than I. I want to learn from people who've been married so much longer than I've been alive and are still married. Amen. So we need to really just invest a lot. Invest collectively in making these marriages work. I've got some good news for you, though. Yeah. Right? I've got some good news for you all. Especially you guys, because you're in church here this morning. You're Christians, okay? And the good news really is this. In Christian communities, when you practice one of, oh, all three of these disciplines, right? The first one being read the Bible together. You can see they're like cheerful. They've just read their Bible, so they've got their fix. Read their Bible together. The second one is when you pray together as a couple, okay? And the third one is if you do life, you do church, you do life group together. And I've got to pause here for a moment just to, just to advertise our life groups, okay? So here in this church, we believe in doing life together, not just as couples, but as a church. And for me personally, I've experienced my greatest growth in life groups. And so I want to encourage you all, not just as a couple, but as a church, as a singles, to just plug into a life group. Pastor Henry's done a fantastic job in ensuring that we're continuing to multiply. So we, at this point, have a life group pretty much near where you live, okay? So there's really no excuse as a church. Okay, so if... In the Christian communities, a couple practices all these three disciplines. Da 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 da. Next slide. That rate of divorce, which we said was 80, remember it was the 50 plus the 30? That divorce rate moves from 80% to 0.1%. Okay? For those that like numbers, 
That 0.1% actually represents one in every 1,500 couples who get a divorce. Okay? And so that's just fantastic. That's fantastic news. And I, I have an uh, advice to offer for some of you singles here. You know, when God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, you know God says that, right? In his word, he knows what he's talking about. Just do it, okay? I mean, right now, check yourselves. If you're in a relationship and you're having to crank up your partner to come to church, you're having to fast seven days a week, 365 days in a year, you're having to pray 35 days in a month for him just to read the Bible or pray with you, you might want to reconsider marrying them, okay? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? Because the odds are heavily stacked against you. Amen. And so as I was researching this um, topic around relationships, marriage, and, and looking at these stats and really just wondering what on earth is going on here, I came across some, some research which says it's commonly believed that the reason why these statistics are so frightening and so shocking is really just ignorance. Many people, even in the church, don't actually know what marriage is about. And therefore, when they enter into a marriage, they're completely ill-equipped to, one, grow, sustain a marriage. Amen? And so, um, and I've got to name and shame the ladies here, okay? Um, ladies, where you at? I have, to, I have to kind of throw you under the bus here, okay? But ladies, we're probably particularly guilty of this. I think may, uh, most of our lives we spend fantasizing on the actual wedding day, okay? I know you, you give, you're quiet, but I know because I'm, I was a girl at some point in time, and I definitely know because I've got a five-year-old daughter whose favorite program is our perfect wedding. <laughs> and so even from a young age, we're we already dreaming of the day, right? I've actually got a, a slide here, and I want to just, for those who can't read, this is the bride saying to her mom, there's no groom, I don't want a, a husband, I just want a wedding. Hey? And how many of us are like this, right, as girls? I mean, I had such great, amazing dreams of my wedding day. In fact, I had great dreams about the days before the wedding day, my proposal. I had these visions of my husband, my man, flying a heli... No, actually, it wasn't even a helicopter. I said helicopter this morning, but I actually had dreams of him flying a jet, a private jet in the sky. And somehow, magically, the clouds would realign... And this writing would pop up saying, Chipo, will you marry me? <laughs> and immediately I'd get on my hands and knees and I'd be like, yes! As he slips on this hundred carat bling bling of a diamond on my hand. And beyond that, I'd be dreaming about my wedding. Come on, girls. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'd be dreaming about my perfect wedding gown. And just my color scheme, how many bridesmaids I'm going to have, or how tough a time I'm going to have to choose uh, two bridesmaids from my 20 girlfriends. Um, but I think many times we're too focused, girls, on becoming a wife rather than becoming a bride. And similarly, many people are focused on that one wedding day than on the marriage. And the day after the marriage, we get the shock of our lives. And months later, years later, it kind of becomes tougher and tougher, right? <laughs> Our good friends, um, Hassani and Danielle uh, Pettiford, who run the, who run the camp, uh, Couples Academy, noted, and this is quite an interesting fact, that couples actually spend 8 to 12 months 
preparing for a wedding, right? And so I thought, oh, let me use that statistic and bring it down into the African context, right? Because in Africa, we have a white wedding, then we have got an African wedding. So if we were to bring it into the African context, we can actually up that number. We can actually say couples in Africa spend almost two years, two years preparing for a wedding, yet the same couple will spend three or four hours in a few sessions in marriage class preparing for their marriage. And even after that, they just don't invest in actually really sustaining their marriages, which is, which is, quite, which is quite frightening and quite alarming. Okay. The Bible in Hosea verse 4, verse 6 says, My people perish. God says, my people. In other words, he's saying, my children, my church, you, me, we perish because of a lack of knowledge. And right now, we, we just want to do whatever we can this in the next three to four weeks to just equip you guys with that knowledge. Equip you guys with wisdom pertaining, uh, relating to your marriages and the relationships that you're in right now. And my prayer for us this morning, not only this morning, for but for the next four weeks, is that, church, you will take these principles. You will apply them, whatever, wherever you are in life, whether you're single, whether you're married. And as you apply them, you will start to see such awesome marriages, such awesome transformations in your life. Amen. 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 Okay, that was my intro. Now going into the real message. Okay. This morning, we're just going to set a bit of a foundation here because, like we said, a lot of the issues that we're seeing in marriages and the do high divorce rates that we're seeing is really because people, people just don't have knowledge. People are either told and don't listen or people are just not told at all. And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time um, looking into scriptures and really finding out what God's original intent was for marriage. So this morning, we're going to answer a few questions. We're going to look at what marriage is. We're going to look at what the purpose of marriage is. We're going to look at some keys, keys to successful marriage. And then, if we have time, if we have time for your singles, we're going to look at some of the benefits of marriage. And so I said it this morning. If the guy or girl that you're, that you're eyeing in this church is here this morning, you want to do whatever you can to make sure that they awake, okay? So if you have to send a WhatsApp to the person who's sitting next to them to tell them to wake them up, do it now, okay? Because you really, really don't want to miss out on this word, Okay? Dr. Miles Monroe says that if you don't know the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. So what could be your greatest blessing ever? And God truly meant for marriage to be our greatest blessing ever. Could end up being your worst possible experience. An experience likened to being in hell itself. Okay. So this moment and this morning, we want to teach you guys. And we just want to give you knowledge on, on really what this marriage thing is about. Okay. Marriage is not just a good idea. It's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. Amen. Marriage is defined as the total joining together of two people of the opposite sex. And here I've got to say that Adam and Eve were the ones that God created to be together. God did not create Adam and Steve. He created Adam and Eve, a girl. Okay? And so here in this church, we believe that marriage is between two people of the opposite sex. Just in case you're wondering. In a lifelong commitment, which is recognized by God, the state, and the community. A marriage, a good marriage, is an earthly representation 
of the relationship that God desires to have with us. Amen. And so now we're going to go into scripture and we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God actually instituted this, um, the, this principle and this concept of marriage, okay? We're going to go quickly to Genesis 2 verse 18, if we can have it up, please. In the King James Version of the Bible. King James Version of the Bible. Okay. So we know the book of Genesis 1 and uh, the beginning of Genesis 2 covers the, the story of creation and how God had created the world, how God had created, created man. And, and here we see God in, in, in Genesis 2 verse 18 speaking, saying something. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. This is quite a powerful statement because for the first time in a very long time, we actually hear God say, it is not good. Remember when he'd created creation, he say, looked at it and said, it is good. He looked at it again and said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then we get to Genesis 2 verse 18 and God is saying, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And God says, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. I will make him a helper meet for him. Other translations of the Bible translate that helper meet as someone who's suitable, someone who's adaptable, someone who's complementary. And I love this other translation which says like opposite. In other words, God is saying, it is not good, Adam, that you're alone. I'm going to make you someone who is created in the image and after the likeness of me but they're going to compliment you. And here I've got to say, women, you were not created to be doormats. You, like Adam, were made in, his, in God's very image and likeness. Okay? And you were created to compliment, to be a like opposite to Adam, to be his helper with a specific, distinct role in this partnership. Amen. And verse 19 says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And what so Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And so here we start to see Adam himself realizing that he needed a, a helpmeet. He needed a somebody. I mean, I like to imagine that Adam saw the ants come by two by two. And he was wondering, where's my two by two? He saw the giraffes coming two by two. He saw the elephants. He saw the gorillas. And at some point he began to think, where is my person? Amen. And so God did something about it in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the woman. 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I love the New Living Translation because in the New Living Translation, it says, at last, 
the man exclaimed. And even that translation, I don't, do, I don't believe did any justice to how Adam really felt when he saw this woman. I like to believe when Adam, when God brought Eve to Adam, Adam was like, whoa, man, God, you've done real good now, woman, woo. <laughs> and that's really how Adam felt, eh? And here Adam's actually given you gentlemen a tip. So for you gentlemen planning for a wedding or to get married, this is how you must receive your woman, eh? When her father comes, you must look excited. Maybe be like Adam and say, "Woo, wow. And I'm about to throw Pastor Tafara under the bridge. But you could be like maybe Pastor Tafara and shed a few tears or two to show your excitement. But whatever you do, look excited. <laughs> because God created woman to be your like opposite, to be the companionship that you, that you truly need. Amen. And so in Genesis 24, we start to see God laying a foundation for marriage and, and sharing with us some, some keys on how to have a successful marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his wife, or sorry, his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so here we start to learn some essentials about marriage, and I'm going to dwell a little bit on on this, on this chapter, and we, we start to see three very important things that God wants us to really adhere to in order to make our marriages successful. The first point and, and thing I want to point out is, is that first part in that, in that passage which says, therefore shall a man leave his parents. The first thing that I want to highlight to you is that word leave. We must leave. We must leave completely, physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, we must leave. Traditionally, the traditional translation of leave would actually suggest that a man physically move away from his parents' household and set up his household with his wife, which I'd actually strongly recommend, uh, by the way. No, seriously, tip to gents, please, whatever you do, don't, I beg you, please, don't bring your wife to your house. Do not bring your wife to live in your home with your mother and your father forever and ever. It, ju it just won't end well. Just do what God says, church. It's simple. It's really that simple, okay? The Hebrew word in this uh, translated leave is actually translated forsake, leave behind, refuse, okay? And here the idea is not that a man should neglect his parents and um, stop having a relationship with them, you know, and stop, you know, seeking them for, for wisdom on certain things because, you know, we know that there's wisdom in age, right? And if our parents have been married for quite long, there's some things they could teach us or two. The concept here isn't that we should stop honoring and we should neglect our parents and just not stop calling them, right? And stop calling them, right? The concept here is that we should change our priorities. We should change our priorities. From being dependent on mommy and daddy to being independent, guys. And running our households as an independent unit together with our wives. And so I hear I've got to say, if you're married, if you're married and you constantly, constantly have to run home to mommy and daddy to ask them to solve challenges and just ask them for money and just, you can't leave, leave. <laughs> Leave. 
Because independence from mommy and daddy is really a key to successful marriages. And I know, church, I'm belaboring the point here today. And the church in the morning got it, and you're going to get it too. Okay? And I really have to belabor this point because we counsel a lot of couples. Maru and Tanasha, who run the, a br- the brilliant marriage course in this church, counsel a lot of couples. So you probably know what I'm talking about. And during these counseling sessions, we see time and time and time and time again challenges that are happening in marriages. Why? Because people just haven't left. And here we get, we get the couple come in. And, and people, it's not just man, it's also the woman, eh? So it's not just the husband, it's also the wife. We get the wife come in, and the first thing she says to us, the first thing she says in that room in our house is, Pastors, I'm so frustrated because my husband just doesn't fix the light bulbs like my daddy. My husband just doesn't take out the trash like my daddy. I have to tell him 1,000 times to make the bed. My daddy used to do that all the time. And then we also get the man on the other side here, right? He's like, you know, pastors, I am frustrated with this wife. My mom, after church, every Sunday used to cook cream custard, custard pudding every Sunday. My wife doesn't even do it. My mom used to sew my underwear. My wife, she doesn't even pick up my underwear, even if it's next, even if it's two centimeters away from the laundry basket. She doesn't even pick it up. My mommy would pick up my underwear. <laughs> None of them have left. And so we need to leave. Church, if you choose to get married, if you choose to get married, remember you're not forced, eh? It's very few instances where someone puts a gun to your head and forces you to marry someone, okay? You're not forced in either, in either way, right? You choose, you make that choice. And so if you're going to choose to get married, you've decided to begin a new relationship. Your husband, your wife can never, ever, ever, ever be like your mommy or your daddy. You need to begin a new life in your own new home. And that means leaving. Leaving behind how your mommy, how your daddy, how your mommy and now whatever used to do. You need to leave. And here I've got to say, again I'm belaboring the point, but we need to be adults here. A husband and a wife should form a team of three. Okay? It should be God who should be at the center of your marriage. It should be the husband and wife. Now, if your mom and or your dad involved, it becomes a team of four or five. Huh? And worse still, if your in-laws are involved as well, both mom and dad who are alive, plus your own mom and dad, it becomes a team of seven. Ah, ah, too much chaos, disaster, drama. Ah, ah, God says you must leave. And you must leave. I don't know about you, and I don't know who noticed this part, but it says, therefore shall a man leave, okay? And I, I, I like to believe it, the specific emphasis wasn't a man, because I think women, we're just naturally wired to leave anyway, you know? We know that when we get married, once we receive that 100-carat ring, and we say, I do, and, you know, we have the lovely, perfect wedding dress, you know, we're going to have to change our no- same surname, right? We're going to have to leave. But I think men are particularly challenged in this area. And so men... This morning, I want you to just pay specific attention to the scripture. A man shall leave his father and his mother. And so, if you want to have a perfect marriage, 
if you want to be in that 20% who are going to see a fulfilling, satisfying marriage, just leave. Leave. Amen. And so now once you've left your mother and father, the Bible then says you must cleave to your wife. The word cleave is the Hebrew word dabag. And it means to adhere, to sting, to st- sorry, to cling, to stick or glue, to hold fast to someone in a permanent bond or to keep close. A man who cleaves to his wife will glue himself to her in a permanent bond which should not and cannot be broken. And here I've got to say again, cleaving does take time, church. It takes time, it takes commitment, and it takes diligence from both couples involved. I mentioned to you that we have made this commitment to invest in our marriage. And we've both made that commitment, right? To invest in our marriage and to make sure that in this very life, we are living out the marriage made in heaven. And so this is the same time and commitment and diligence that we here are going to have to take as we enter into, into marriage. Amen. So cleaving, quite an interesting word, but what does it mean practically? What does it really mean pla- practically? It really means this, church. Mine becomes ours. Okay? So gentlemen, my car becomes our car. My phone with its passwords, with its secrets, with the many people calling me and all that jazz becomes our phone. Okay? Our phone. With no secrets, no passwords, no jazz, no drama. And it's quite interesting because a long, long, long time in Bethlehem, a very long time ago, I said this morning for our sin, Fast and Tafar and I used to own Samsungs. <laughs> we now own iPhones, of course. But we used to have iPh- uh, Samsungs, and they used to be the same. They used to be actually identical, white Samsungs. I, I do not ask me why. <laughs> but at that point, we decided to get the same cell phone. And one morning, I inadvertently took his cell phone to school. But guess what? Because I'd cleaved to my husband, I had no fear, I had no worry, I had no anxiety. When his phone rang, I answered his phone. I knew his passcode. I could enter it in and send a message to tell them that uh, Pastor Tafari had left his phone at home. And guess what? He could do the same, exact same thing on his side in his office. He answered my calls. He answered the messages. There was no fear, no shame. Why? Because mine had become ours. Amen. Cleaving also means doing life together. Going on holiday together, guys. Just being together. And here I've got to say, it doesn't even need to be expensive, right? I mean, we, you know, can leave our daughters with Pastor Henry here (laughs) while we enjoy a, a picnic in our garden so that we just have time to talk and do life together. Enjoy one another's company without the distractions out there. And so I'd like to encourage you, if you are married, you need to spend some time with your wife. You need to spend some quality time with your husband. You need to cleave. And also a third practical aspect of cleaving is ordering your priorities. And this is something we learned, um, you know, a few years ago as well, around how it's very important in order for you to cleave 
and to really just uh, bond together as a couple, you need to get your priorities straight. Number one on your priority should be God, okay? And then it's your wife or husband. And then it's your kids. And then it's all y'all, okay? You're after my kids, okay? And practically, how is this demonstrated? And I think Pastor Tafari has shared quite a, quite a nice example. When someone call, when he's in a meeting and I call him, he excuses himself briefly from a meeting, gets on the phone with me, says, honey, I'm going to call you back. Puts down the phone, proceeds with his meeting, and actually calls me back. Okay? So guys, if you're going to tell your wife to call you back, call her back. Okay? And I do the same. And that's because we've learned how to order our priorities and set a priority straight in our lives so that we can cleave effectively together. Amen. Right. And then the scripture says, they shall become one flesh, joined together in a lifelong or permanent covenant. In other words, the married couple are really not two. They're one. One purpose is what they have. One goal is what they have. One life together is what they have. They are one team. One team. Husbands, your wife is not your enemy. She's not the problem. Wives, your husband is not the enemy. She's not the problem. You're in one team. You're one team. You're playing for the team. Same team. So please fight fair. Please fight fair. You're one team. Okay. And so really here what we learn is marriage is a vitally important institution. Marriage is a covenant not a contract. It's a covenant which should not be taken lightly. And so now the question on all your minds is probably this, well, what on earth is a covenant? And how does it really differ from a contract? And I'm going to answer that question for you this morning. I'm going to answer first what a contract is. And I like to call a contract an escape door. A contract is dependent upon performance. It's based on protection and mistrust. Contracts allow parties involved to look for loopholes, exit clauses, which are censored on your rights, your own rights and your protection. Church, a contract can be broken when one or both parties uh, involved don't keep their promise, right? In essence, what a contract says is if you don't perform according to the contract that we've signed, then I'm out of here. I'm going to find someone who's better, bigger, whatever. I'm out of here. It's much like a cell phone contract, and I think that's probably the one thing that most of us can relate. We've mostly got cell phone contracts. Um, a cell phone contract is, is pretty much like this, right? I say to Vodacom, and um, so Vodacom is uh, my service provider, says to Vodacom, Vodacom, I'm going to give you 400 rands, okay? I'm going to give you 400 rands every month. And when I give, because I'm giving you this 400 rands, I expect you to give me 400 rands worth of airtime. And while you added two gigs of free data. <laughs> and Vodacom, listen to this. If you do not give me that airtime and you do not give me that data, guess what? I'm canceling that contract. I'm out of here. I'm going to sell C. Bye-bye. And the problem that we see which resulted in all those shocking statistics, is that a lot of marriages are based on the principles of a contract. Yes. 
then it's no wonder that things start to fall apart. Because marriage is a covenant. I say marriage is a covenant. So what is a covenant? Well, in a covenant, there is no escape door. None. Whatsoever. A covenant is a commitment to the union. Listen to this. No matter what the person does or doesn't do. It's a commitment to the union no matter if the other person is performing or not. It's a commitment unto death. You see, without this vital understanding of a covenant, many people enter into marriage with the attitude of, what can I get? What is in there, what is in there for me to get? When really, church, when you're entering into the institution of marriage, which is a covenant, your what can I get should be what can I give? What can I give? How can I serve? What can I do for this person? I didn't share it with the church this morning, but I picked up a few um, contrasts of the language of a contract versus the language of a covenant. The language of a contract says, I take thee for me. Whereas a covenant says, I give myself to thee. A contract says, you had better do this. You had better pick up your underwear. <laughs> or else I'm out of here. Whereas a covenant says, may I serve you? How can I actually help you change these habits of yours? <laughs> a contract says, what can I get? A covenant says, what can I give? A contract says, I'll meet you halfway. A covenant says, I'll give you 100% plus. A contract says, I have to. A covenant says, I want to. Amen. 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 And, and so really, this is it. Genesis, uh, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, we learn that in, in verse 18, God created this concept of marriage. God, marriage is a God idea. He created Eve for Adam because he knew that Adam would need companionship, vice versa. And even after he presented Eve to Adam, he laid down some really interesting keys. And those keys are that we must leave our parents. And once we've left, we must cleave to our wives. We must bond. And once we do, the two will become flesh, joined in a lifelong permanent covenant that's meant to last till eternity. Amen. And so now we're going to look at some of the benefits of marriage. Again, I say, if you're single and if the guy you're eyeing is in this church, Make sure that he's awake. Girls, guys, if the woman that you're eyeing is in this church, wake her up somehow, some way. <laughs> Vice versa. Wives, if your husband's sleeping, wake him up. If your wife is sleeping, wake her up too. You don't want to miss this, guys. It's going to change your marriage. It's going to change your relationships. Okay. So we know the first um, benefit is companionship. We read that in, in Genesis 2 verse 18, so I'm not going to labor, labor that point. God said it is not good for man to be alone. We need someone, church, to do life with. We need someone to love. We need someone to serve. Amen. So one of the key benefits for marriage is companionship. Go with me quickly to Ecclesiastes 4. And we're going to read from verse 9 to 11. So we'll start off in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. 
the New Living Translation, we don't really have to go there, but it says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And so here we've got to make point number two, that marriage is for helping each other to succeed. Church, there's some things that I'm good at that my husband is most certainly not good at. And vice versa, there's some things that he's good at that I'm not even good at. And to give you an example, I'm a little bit more mathematically inclined, a little more number inclined. So I'm the one who does the budgeting because spreadsheets would make Pastor Tafara all cross-eyed and confused. <laughs> I'm the one who does investments, for example. I'm the one who typically organizes plans, holidays, makes sure that there's some sort of structure and order. Why? Because that's what I'm good at, right? On the flip side, Pastor Tafara is the one who's a little bit more creative, spontaneous, fun, and friendly. <laughs> So Pastor Tafara, in our marriage classes and in life in general, he makes the friends. And I just piggyback off that relationship. <laughs> but that's, in essence, what marriage is for. It's for us to help each other to succeed where the other just wouldn't be succeeding if they did not have the other one. Amen. Next verse. Verse 10. For if they fall, the other will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone. When he, for, for, for he hath not another to help him up. I love the Message Bible because the Message Bible says, and if one falls down, the other one helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. <laughs> those are not my words. Those are straight from God's word, eh? Message, message translation. And so the third benefit of marriage is Marriage is good for picking you up. Marriage is good for you for picking you up. I like to think that I'm Pastor Tafara's biggest cheerleader. I'm his greatest cheerleader in this, in this journey called life. Um, some of the leaders will attest, Pastor Tafara had to go and, um, and, and shoot, do his first filming for TV in Africa. Uh, by the way, Faithful Church is going to be on TV in Africa. <laughs> And so Pastor Tafara had to go do his first uh, filming, and uh, he was a little bit nervous. Uh, you know, it's quite, a, it's quite a big deal. And here I was in the evening cheering him on, cheering him on with scriptures, cheering him on with prayers, cheering on with my awesome presence. <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, everyone knows that I like running, right? Pastor Tafara is my biggest cheerleader. I mean, that man will come to any race, whether it's raining and he's got no umbrella because he's forgotten it at home because he's not listened to me. <laughs> hey? Or he's got no food. Or it's too hot and he's got no sunscreen and no hat. He'll be there like a bear. Because that's what marriage is for. It's for picking you up. And how many of you have lists here? Because I'm going to talk a little bit about lists, right? This should be one of the criteria on the list. If you fall, does your girlfriend pick you up? Or do they push you down? Hey, if you fall, does your boyfriend pick you up, encourage you? Or do they just push you down and make you feel useless? Because if they do, you know what? You need to get rid of them. Kick them to the curb. Okay? Because this should be your number one criteria on that list. You need to look for someone who's going to pick you up. Amen. And I'm going to talk again about lists because I spoke to it in the morning. 
But we all need lists here, okay? I mean, I had a list, so I know. We all need a list of criteria, the things we need to look out for in a man or in a woman. But here I've got to say that some of us, our lists are probably too high that even Jesus himself would not even meet any of the criteria. We'll just struggle to even meet the criteria, okay? So let's have a bit of balance. And then on the flip side, there's some whose, whose criteria is actually too, just too low. That literally anyone who breathes, anyone who breathes, anyone who just smiles will do. And so, gents, ladies, if you're single, hear it from me. You need a balanced list. You need a list for starters. But your list needs to be balanced, okay? And you know what? While we're on lists and it being balanced, whatever is on that list of yours, you have to be prepared to become. Whatever is on that list of yours, you need to be prepared to come. If you want a girl that is kind or a guy that is kind, guess what? You're going to have to be kind too. Gents, if you want a woman who cooks gourmet meals every day, that salmon, that onion soup, that mm, lovely stuff, guess what? You are going to have to be able to cook that stuff or at least buy the ingredients, whatever the story might be. Hey? And of course, if you want a you know, girl or guy who like, goes to the gym, you need to go to the gym as well. And, and, and I say this because that's what I did. I mean, Pastor Tafara met every one of those requirements on my list of 20 things. <laughs> and guess what? I was already those 20 things. Okay. So yes, putting it out there, free advice for you singles. Get a list, balance list. Make sure that whatever's on that list, you are, you are already Okay, verse 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? I love God so much because he's got a sense of humor. Hey, church, winter's coming up. And of course, this only applies to married couples. So you single couples, this is what you're going to get when you get married, okay? So don't, maybe close your eyes, okay? But winter's coming up in the next, close your ears. Winter's coming up in the next two to three months. And, and God, who's got such an awesome sense of humor, and, and actually God's actually quite practical, right? He's saying, married people, why spend so much on an electric blanket? Hey, don't spend so much on an electric blanket when you've got your own human heater right next to you. <laughs> and so marriage, another key benefit of marriage is marriage provides warmth. Not just physically, but also emotionally too. There's a sense of intimacy that's in marriage that you, know, you, 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 you will not get when you're not married. Amen. Okay. And in closing, and this is really the last point, verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a third, threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so the fifth and final benefit of marriage is for protection and strength. The New Living Translation says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two, they can stand back to back and conquer. In other words, what the scripture is saying is that there's added strength and protection when there are two of you. I mean, life has a way of being life and happening. And the scripture says so nicely and clearly here that when it's two of you, you've got a greater chance of conquering and overcoming the obstacles that are thrown at you in life. Amen. And also, and I love this, 
The scripture says, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, there must be a third party in the marriage. And here I'm not talking about your mom and dad, okay? Because I think we've dealt with that. You need to leave. You need to leave in order to cleave. Here we're talking about God. God must be involved in your marriage, church. I say God must be involved in everything.